You're listening to Neurodiversity at Work. Welcome to today's episode, sponsored and powered by Dynamis Group. Recently honoured to be part of 300 years of leadership and innovation. We at Dynamis believe that business is a catalyst for positive impact in the world. By building a bridge between the top leaders of today and the brightest leaders of tomorrow. We inspire them to do things they have never done before. Adam Gordon, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Neurodiversity, the place where we enable superheroes and we eliminate kryptonite. Um, Thank you so much for joining me today. Would you like to tell the world who is Adam? What does he do? Why are you here? Yeah, yeah. What an introduction! So, first of all, I wish I had as much like um, pod presence as you've got, Theo. You're incredible. Um, so, thank you for having me. First of all, it's great to be on the show. Uh, I am Adam Gordon. Uh, currently, um, I work in recruitment technology, uh, and I've spent the last twenty three years working in recruitment, providing services. Uh, building services, building technologies. Uh, and uh, I work for iSIMS, which is best known as the world's number one applicant tracking system company, 1,500 people around the world. It's an American-based business uh, serving mid-market and enterprise customers. Uh, and the reason I'm in the business is because I built a company called Candidate ID, which was a uh, marketing automation technology startup for talent acquisition, which was acquired by iSIMS coming up for a year ago now in March 2022. And I have been really enjoying spending some time learning how big companies work and uh, in big technology companies and uh, making a contribution to help iSIMS become the uh, number one market player. Amazing. Thank you. So fascinating, really, because you mentioned Canada ID, obviously a a big part of your life. Um, But a lot of when we think about that type of technology, um, it's a lot of creative insight. You created something that almost the world was not ready for. Right. Uh, And built it and invested in it and got lots of people excited about it. But people may still not be ready for it. And then all of a sudden, like a a switch went. Uh, I don't know when that switch was exactly where people just got it, right? They went from being fascinated by it to just getting it. Uh, and then, of course, uh, it, it was acquired by iSIMS. Um, I think that probably plays into a lot of what we're talking about today, about seeing things that other people don't see, level of creative energy, insight, and ability to drive through something, even when perhaps, and I'm making some assumptions by you, so you can tell me I'm wrong, but driving no, good through ones. with stuff, yeah, driving through with stuff when other people would literally have thought, Maybe I should be, you know, pivoting and doing something different. 
Yeah, a, a lot of the things you just said are things that you and I have actually not talked about in the past, but you're very insightful. Uh, and so, yeah, the two businesses that I that I have founded, neither of them were uh, based on following the success of another earlier competitor. Uh, I've always looked at how can we do recruitment better and therefore what do we need to be providing to the market? And so the first business was Social Media Search, which was a talent sourcing company. Set that up in 2009 on the basis that most employers didn't know how to use LinkedIn to find potential candidates. And I did, and I I built a team of people um, around me to help me to do that. And uh, we were providing services long before. It's quite a common thing now, but we were long before, you know, the market, the mass market really was thinking about that. And then in terms of marketing automation with Candidate ID, again, yeah, I mean, it was based on a conversation with the guy who became my co-founder in that business, who was telling me all about mainstream marketing automation. And I just went, we need this in recruitment. We absolutely need it. And we started writing things down and like the parallels of what, you know, he was writing down to show me and what I was going, this is how we could do it in talent acquisition. We're absolutely matching. So we, we, we kind of knew we were onto something pretty quickly. And uh, one thing that really drives me is, is definitely new, good new ways of doing things. And I uh, holding the wheel on something and like keeping the ship in the same direction for 5,000 miles probably isn't the thing that I do. It's like getting the ship out of the port is the bit that I really enjoy. Brilliant. Yeah, I know that feeling well. <laughs> and there's some similarities. I mean, you know, you've done it far better than I have. But uh, in terms of our interest in that whole like social media, communication, um, content, like stuff that fascinates and really excites me as well. And I did quite a bit of that earlier on my career at TMP um, and, and social media teams doing a lot of the just basic social media posting and stuff for organizations who just didn't get how to do a post on Facebook, right? And they just needed someone else to lift it and do it. And, and the costs were so small that the opportunities were so big, right? Um, to take that on for, for organizations. So what uh, what does... What does neurodiversity mean to you then, Adam? I guess even to step back from neurodiversity, um, what is your journey? What is like your life journey towards um, considering neurodiversity as a concept? And let's think more broadly uh, of your early years right through up until today. Well, I, I didn't, there's a lot of different ways to answer this, but if I just go back to like a, a few important points a few important points about my journey so i uh i got sent to boarding school when i was 11 i it was psychologically not good for me to be there i probably needed more of the nurture of like my mum in particular and um the truth is i I went my dad wanted me to go there my mum didn't at all and tried every way she could to uh stop this from happening um, which I hadn't really appreciated all of that until much later in life. But anyway, um, I, I, it, it did, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed doing the sport. I met, met some good friends. I learned a lot of things that I otherwise wouldn't have learned. I learned fencing. I learned riding horses. 
I learned doing lots of posh boy pursuits. That sounds then, fun. Um, yeah, well, I, I was. Um, I, I tried my best to not go back at the end of every Christmas holiday and Easter holiday and summer holiday. And then eventually I got what I um, wanted by getting expelled. So um, I was expelled when I was 15. And um, so it's quite, if I look back now, I kind of felt a bit of rejection from having been sent away to boarding school, despite me not wanting to go. And then even though I didn't want to be there, I was rejected again because I was actually kicked out of the school. Um, and I really, re- I'm really, really conscious of the concept that, like, I don't want to be coming across as some poor little rich kid because I am aware of all of the privileges that I've had in being brought up um, in a middle class family, being born white in a white country, being born male. And, you know, having a lot of capabilities. So I, I am absolutely aware of that. And I don't I certainly don't want to come across as like I, I'm acting like life's been difficult for me because it's been very, very difficult for a lot more people than than have had it a lot harder than I have. Yeah, but equally, you know, we it's our own life experiences, right, that we have to go through and we have to make sense of. And uh, at the end of the day, it, that trauma, whether it happens in the classroom, whether it happens at home, whether it's a combination of all these different things, has an impact on the way that your brain works, the decisions that you make. And therefore, if we analyze ourselves, which is really the important part of improving ourselves, then we need to look at uh, we need to look at that whole journey. And that's kind of the concept of neurodiversity and the focus on strengths versus challenges. And, and being able to understand that whole piece is critical to success. Because when you start to understand that whole piece, that whole journey, what you've gone through, what's happened to you, you're then able to explain your needs to someone else. And that may be a manager, it may be a life partner, it may be a friend. Yeah, and the, you know the word, the word that you use there, trauma, is a really poignant one. And it's one that I certainly hadn't thought about until a few years ago when my wife said to me that the whole boarding school thing was really clearly a trauma in my life. And, you know, if I, if I look a little bit beyond that, so I was from a really early age, my dad was a very, very successful businessman and he was a very, very accomplished piano player. He was the life and soul of the party. He was Mr. Mr. Party. He was really gregarious. And I spent from the age of about eight till probably nearly 40, just wanting to be my dad and, and just wanting to like emulate and uh, what I was emulating was a guy who was all those things, but he was, I'm not sure if he was, you would call him an alcoholic, but he was, I mean, he was a functioning alcoholic. Absolutely, he was. And I watched him being really accomplished and being all of these things and being a functioning alcoholic and probably spent 20 years uh, doing the same. I mean, like from the age of about 17 till 37, probably till about 40. Um, I drank most evenings and sometimes from like lunchtime and, uh, you know, it was all sociable. It was all with friends and it was all, but if any of my hundreds of friends, if any of them were going out, I'd make sure that I was part of that. And I would make sure that I was out all the time. And, you know, that is, that is one impact of, uh, 
some of that is some of that is like this insane competition with my dad and some of it may have been related to the trauma and wanting to step out of being myself and wanting to be the different version of me which was the one that was um you know after a few drinks mind altered so you know that's that that's that's one thing and then i guess you know you asked about my interest in neurodiversity it's got more when when i was in my early to mid 20s i started working in employer branding and recruitment marketing and i started to understand a lot of the elements that an employer needed to be able to demonstrate in order to have as wide a talent pool as they could being interested in working for their organization and it was probably round about that point that i started learning about diversity and diversity at that time for me it was really just about ethnicity there wasn't any other aspects of it and it's only been maybe in the last 10 years that i've started thinking about it a lot more in terms of gender and then laterally over the last maybe 5 years in terms of lots of other lots and lots of other things because we are so diverse beyond gender and ethnicity and neurodiversity is one of those and i am surrounded by people who are non-typical um my best man is aut- aut- has autism and adhd my old flatmate is adhd i've got very close family members who are adhd <laughs> I am, you know, and I, like I gravitate towards people who are non-typical, and um, it was just in the last couple of years that this has all become much more conscious to me. So you know, I started thinking about it a lot more detail and went, "Hang on a second. I mean, my my wife, my wife said that I've got OCD for so long, and actually." You know, there are there are lots of elements of OCD in terms of the way that I do things. And some of them are really weird. And some of them are um, just like slightly, um, slightly extreme versions of the way that, that everybody operates, but I'm doing it in a different way. But then when I started seeing all these people with ADHD around me, I suddenly went, hang on a second. I've got the hyper focus. I've got the impulsivity. I've got like... A whole load, a whole load of different things that are, you know, fit the pattern. So I did go and I did go in this year, go and do the diagnosis, and uh, it it came out that I was like bang in the middle, just to the side of non-diagnosed. But the you know the report says he's got lots and lots of criteria which are absolutely ADHD, and if it had been done ten years ago, then I I would probably have been on the side of actually diagnosed. The reason. Um, that she said that was not to do with like maybe he's grown out of it. It was just to do with he's developed a lot of pattern, a lot, a lot of um, uh, ways of ways of dealing with it. So, for example, I do get very upset if my car keys are not in the place where where I they are always in the same place. My like desktop on my laptop is organized in a way that I can understand it. Otherwise, shit is everywhere. Like stuff is everywhere. So I have to, the important things like my passport is always in the same place. My car keys, my bank card, you know, the things that are, you can't function without them. My phone, you know, um, otherwise, yeah. One other thing, I'm conscious I'm a little bit rambling here, but 
over the last like over the last 20 years i've reading has become harder and harder so i can read a paragraph i could read two paragraphs any more text than that i'm not reading it i'm just not going to because i know that it'll take me 20 minutes to read like something which maybe 20 years ago would have taken me two minutes to read because i can't concentrate on the words can't concentrate on the sentences because I've got too many other things in my in my brain at the same time. So anyway, I just threw a lot of stuff at you, I know. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's all good stuff. Uh, and uh, so yeah, let me just pick some of that apart, right? Um, so one interesting thing there is the, the alcohol um, or the need to be with other people. So something that I really connect with is when I was at university, the university lecturers and stuff used to always get confused and you say, Theo, why are you at every single event in every single year of the drama school? They said, you're the only person we see at every year's celebration, every, like every, every night out that every part of the group of every year has, you're here. And I just, I just like being around people. I like these events, right? Which is fascinating. And there's nobody else was doing that. I just always wanted to be with people. I didn't want to be at home in, in, a, in a room. And therefore, I never got work done, but I created very strong connections and bonds. The flip side of that is I actually find it almost impossible to hear in loud environments. Um, there's too much going on. There's too much. So I always, I actually don't perform best with large groups of people in loud environments. So, but I wanted to be with people. So just being with people and being in the environment and the noise and stuff kept my brain busy and therefore it didn't allow my brain to go to other negative spaces or places in a room on my own so that it so that resonates with me and then the the alcohol i, I couldn't would... sorry theo i i couldn't be on my own for, I, I i i hated being on my own until probably i i think some of the change in my behavior happened when i became a parent um, I think that the going from look, you do, it's not only yourself that you need to be bothered about now. You have people depending on you. Um, probably made a change into the way that I felt about things. But I hated being on my own until probably round about the time that I became a dad, and that was like eight years ago. So I was thirty, thirty-seven years old by that point. So this totally is the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. And, and and the same happened to me. So my children, the focus, my neurodiverse traits, neurodiversity, however you want to term it, right? The biggest thing that impacts me now is not myself, but my child, right? And their experiences and the challenges, because I have to hyper-focus on all of that. That's why I do everything I do is because I'm trying to solve that complex problem that is my child's world that is almost solving my own world, right? But I almost like I've gone too far down the road and now I have this person I can channel all of that into to try and fix all of the things that maybe I would have liked to have fixed or changed about myself or my own journey. I can do it. This person in front of me who's nine, I can do it and I'm going to do it. Right. But this is the thing I have with yeah. diagnosis they, because I think the problem we've got and this is, you know, as we better understand neurodiversity as a concept, is that um, neurodiversity is not one thing, right? We have one brain, but we have all these different labels. Co-occurrence yeah. is the norm. Now, the problem with co-occurrence, 
that if you can go in and show your like over here on the autism spectrum or over here on the ADHD spectrum. And I've met many people who are, right? I met people who are like best athletes, knock it out of the park, Usain Bolt. Like if you were to put them in a classroom and they're bouncing around causing chaos and you they say ADHD, you're like, okay, like that is, you, you can kind of see it and understand it. You get the inattentive person who's ADHD, who doesn't show it like me yeah. or my daughter. And it's not as obvious. Yeah. But you add the autism, but you add the anxiety, but you add some of the other experiences and trauma, like your example, you add all of those together on their own, they can look like a, a line, right? If you don't know where to look, yeah. add them yeah. together and they're like a mountain, they're like Everest in terms of challenges, experiences, <clears throat> but, but we don't put them together as part of the diagnostic model. We, we separate them and segment them. And then we sit in front of a psychologist who goes, you're kind of in the middle. Yeah, but I'm maybe in the middle for ADHD. But what about my OCD? What about the trauma I experience as a young person? What about the alcohol? What about the this? What about the that? Yeah, yeah. No, th- th- that's absolutely true. One thing when I did that, so that that's, this is the challenge. You're right. With, with getting a diagnosis is it, 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 there's, there's lots of different challenges with it. The one thing which was really, really high was impulsivity. And I mean, if I think back about the like shouting out in class, acting like the class clown, like throwing people off their chair in the middle of the class, rugby tackling my mate at the start of the cross country, um, doing just doing crazy things. And, you know, that was from the age of 14, probably till about early 40s or till about 40, something like that. That was that was the one that was really high in in the diagnosis that I did get, and I, I, I'm not at all surprised. Uh, I, I'm actually far far less impulsive um, just in the last few years. But I think understanding some of this and going and going and doing like a, a test like that to try and see if there's a diagnosis or there's not a diagnosis. I mean, that's only one way of un- trying to learn about it and understand about it. But I've got to say having got some of those results that were bespoke to me, I, I do feel like I understand it better, which is good. Which is the most important thing, right? So the diagnosis, the reason why we have labels and diagnosis is because access to support. My daughter gets extra support in the classroom because the school admitted after three years that they couldn't give her the help in classroom that she needed to overcome the challenges she was facing. So she gets extra support for several hours yeah. a day in the class. So that that's what a label gets a child, right, in our current system. So that works. But for you or I, like, the, the label is not necessarily the thing that's important. It's the understanding of our human brain and why we may have made some decisions, not because we're bad, not because we didn't care, or not because we just wanted to drink, or whatever it is, whatever the number, actually, because there is some level of heightened impulsivity or some inability to be on your own. There's a link, there's a cognitive link that when you start to understand, you can start to unpick and help to support others. Yeah, I I agree with that. And in terms of extra support, like one of the ways, one sim- really simple way, there's lots and lots of ways that I have put in strategies. But one simple way is, as I mentioned earlier, like I find it really hard to read. 
Um, and so, and it was only when I, I worked at, at PwC, the professional services firm, and um, my boss used to draw me diagrams rather than send me re- like written, lots of written reports. And I absolutely loved it. And I understood the concepts immediately. And when I suddenly realized, hang on a second, um, this is really good for me. In fact, it was probably quite subconscious then. I think it was later that actually I realized that my, my reading wasn't that great and it's been getting worse and worse and it's, it's bad. I mean, it's bad now. Um, but if, I am, if I'm in a situation where I'm working with a team and somebody's trying to explain something to me using their voice, that's not a problem. If they send me a long like paragraphs and some sort of like report or white paper or something like that, I'm, I'm going to ask them to just draw me pictures and send those instead or like record it on a video and send that to me instead because it's going to go into my brain much better that way. So, you know, I think when you understand things a bit more consciously, then you can work on strategies. Also, you can decide how you present information because what can happen is you think, well, if so, I've just done a 70 page report for a healthcare organization on uh, neurodiversity. It's consultancy work. Um, I've done surveys, one to ones, meetings, loads of desk based research, loads of other stuff that's gone into this report. Now, had I earlier on in my life, I probably would have tried to do what everybody else does and put it in this big PDF, right? And lots of, inf- or loads of inf- information dump, right? They're going to tell them everything they, everything ever, because then they can't tell me I didn't tell them it. Instead, the 70-page report has an image on every single page. The image is half the size of the page, and the content is in very big writing, so like 20, yeah. um, and yeah. it's in aerial, so it's a bit more accessible for people. And, and then what I've done is I've... I visually got down what it is that's in my mind. I've then added some information that goes with it. And then I've put links and I've either written more content that goes elsewhere or I've linked to audio, video, a lot of stuff I've done or other people have done, which answers the questions in more detail. And I then use the, use the report rather than what other organizations might do to send it and go, um, here's your report, see you later. The report for me was yeah. then a three-hour conversation on a telephone call to go through what the report means, right? To, because it's in my head uh, and then record yeah. the call and then the organization. Cry. So like that for me is transformational, not just in how people communicate with me, but it's allowing myself to communicate with people in a way that makes sense to me, right? Rather than trying desperately for months to try and do something. And, you know, maybe... Uh, for some organizations, they will need to download in a PDF. Maybe others, others won't. But it's sometimes there's, there's a place for all of us in this world, right? And if I, can, if I can help the people who understand me, brilliant. And somebody can go and help the people who understand them, amazing. And if we all do that, right, we should get 99.9% of the world, right? If we all try and communicate to everyone, it's not going to work. So I think there's something yeah. incredible in that just that realization that I see in images, I understand in images, and therefore that's what I'm going to go with. Yeah, I I did a lot of study um, about 15 years ago around <clears throat> neurolinguistic programming. And one of the principles of NLP is 
um, effectively, if if somebody doesn't understand you, that's your fault. It's not their fault. If they don't understand you, it's not because they're stupid. It's probably not because they're stupid. It's because you're not conveying it. And I, I really believe in every scenario that it's up to you to convey your message in a way that the other person's going to understand. And the optimal thing to do is to, if you can, is to offer a variety of different formats so that if somebody does want to read, they can read. If they want to watch a video, they can watch a video. If they want to look at pictures, they can look at pictures. That's the ultimate way to do things. But we, we normally, unless we've got huge teams of you know people developing our content for us, we can't really do that do it in that way. But I, I do believe that it's important to uh, understand that the way you project is what lands with the other person. So, in, interestingly, to the to I, I'm fascinated by that. And what if I think about it? I created, I wrote the book, which I found difficult. I can't read books. I can't write properly. But I wrote 110,000 words with Amanda because I wanted to get what was in my head into a format that other people could understand. And I no longer wanted yeah. to constantly have to explain, try and extract what was in my head, and get it in out in a way that they could understand all the time. I want to be able to go, you go read that book, right? You go read that book. You come and listen to my podcast. You come and see my videos over on YouTube. And for you, I'm going to do a presentation with just images, right? And that's the bit I'm going to love most. The book I'll never have to do again. Who knows? I might do a second one. But the book is like, it's written. It's like there. It's stamped in history. Uh, so yeah. it's, it's so in one respect, I'm like, I'm going to communicate in a way that's best for me. But in another way, I'm constantly, you, you do it because in the way you want people to ask you so many questions, you think the easiest way for me to do it is FAQs or a bot or, <laughs> or a book yeah. or a movie. So yeah, I get what you're saying there. Well, one other reason why I think this is so important is because we, we're living in a, it feels like in... There's a group of people who are more and more tolerant of everybody else. And then there's other groups of people who are less and less tolerant of everybody else. And, you know, the speed that communication has evolved, even in the last five years, means that we could be talking on a uh, we could be talking on a meeting and uh, not have ever met the other person we're talking to. And we can do all sorts of, you know, incredible things with that person. We can make music with that person. We can do deals with that person. We can do all sorts of different things with that person. The world has got much smaller through the better development of communication technologies. And the challenge that that brings is it puts people who, you know, ideologically have not that much in common with each other into the same space more regularly than they were before. And, you know, we can, we can see this on places like Twitter where there's been all sorts of eruptions of hatred and, you know, um, terrible things happen and, and other social networks, of course, as well. Um, but if, if, we can, if we can work out better way, if, if everybody understood what you understand about neurodiversity and the differences between people, then that would generate a lot more tolerance in the world and that would be a great thing. You know what? You've 
you've hit the nail on the head there because one of the biggest problems is communication. And in a yeah. way, um, you, you know, you, being able like what you've what you've created, right? The the ability to communicate with somebody at a point that they're ready for it and willing to receive that information is very powerful in every aspect of life, right? You've created a point. The amount of time I get frustrated with something coming at the wrong time, or and then the yeah. lack of understanding. I had a. Uh, can I say? Yeah. Anyway, I, I had. I'm going to say. Um, I had a. Yeah. I, I had a builder within a space that I was working in. Um, and I was doing a lot of video work and stuff. And the building company were within my vicinity. I'm, I'm leaving a bit out, but within my vicinity. And one of them was um, shouting a lot. And I was getting a bit frustrated because I could hear the shout and I couldn't really hear what it was, but it was affecting all my filming. I was supposed to be doing a presentation. So everything had this noise that meant that a lot of it I just couldn't do. Um, and a lot of it I had yeah. to wait till later in the night. And, I, and that was frustrating for me. Um, but however, right, very frustrating and annoyed until my wife turned around to me and went, I think um, they're Tourette's. And I went, right. And my, my whole world, the way I thought, the way I felt, completely transformed because I understood it was no longer somebody who wasn't uh, considerate around other people. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, I didn't mm -hmm. think I needed to go out and say, listen, can you be quiet, please? To go in, I just have to deal with this. This is, this is not a big issue. I now have to think of another time to film it. I'll film it tonight. It's not ideal. But I just, that's what I need to do. Because this person yeah. is not shouting through choice. Um, yeah. it, this person is Tourette's and therefore I need to respect and appreciate that person. And, and I, so, well, I, so my whole view changed. You would like it, like be, because I had understanding uh, and appreciation. Therefore, I could completely go from not being happy to being respectful and understanding and think, right? I need to figure out what to do here rather than be frustrated with someone else. I think we can take that even further, though, because like even if that person didn't have Tourette's, they they. And they simply didn't understand the value of the quiet for you because they didn't know. It's just another form of, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with asking people if they could just keep the noise down. I've had to do it. Well, no, I was, I was at I was the point. podcast yesterday and I did that, but. I was at the point where I was going to, that's the thing. But you, but then to know yeah. that, I think, well, actually I won't, I, you know, I didn't. Yeah. I, you're right. It's, it's like being annoyed. It's better to let somebody know than sit being annoyed. Right. Because the person can't do anything if you don't tell them. If they don't know. Yeah, I, no, absolutely. They just, they just hadn't appreciated the value, but I mean, it may well be they did have Tourette's, but yeah, I, I, I do think it, it's, it's just another aspect of, um, it's just another aspect of tolerance is people don't, you know, if everybody's got a different map of the world, the, the, there's another, another, another thing from NLP, which is the map is not the territory. So, you know, the, the we've all have our own maps of the world and they are built up using everything that we have experienced individually. Nobody's map is identical and um you know my map is completely different i mean my map's you and i might have a lot of things in common but our maps are completely different and 
yeah, it's just like that builder didn't didn't has probably never done a podcast. It's probably needed probably never needed quiet at work, yeah. you know. Anyway. Yeah, it was the repetition. It was the re- once I'd listened, it was the repetition of the same words regularly uh, and in the style yeah. and the way it was it was very, very particular. Um, is why it's still making an assumption, mind you, yeah. but they were very similar words used uh, on on repetition and in very particular areas and, and whilst working. So it wasn't, and they were very close in vicinity. Um, so they yeah. were those things, but it just you know it's the, one of the best lessons you can learn is not um, uh, you know through the experience of others, but through the experience of yourself, right? To be able to say it's one thing for me to talk about this, it's one thing for us to talk about it. You need to live and breathe every single day and every moment of your life to be to think about what you say and what you do and how that impacts your daily actions. And I, I'm no better than any other human being in that context. And I think that's what is important for us to understand. Right? We're all on this life journey of understanding, and which comes back to your point of as the world opens up more, as we connect and engage more, there is more opportunity yeah. for people to upset each other as there is yes. for people to connect and engage and and have this affinity with somebody else. I mean, it may well be that it, you know, it may well be that the the the, the world the world getting smaller because of technology. I, I certainly hope that that is going to make the world a more tolerant and uh, you know kind place. And I think that that's what will happen, but it might take some problems before that happens. And you see it in cities where they have been quite homogenous um and then you know there is new um immigration and that city is not used to having people with different skin colors or wearing different types of clothes there is tension immediately and then you know it can take some time for that acceptance and you know um tolerance to uh, it can take it can take a generation or it can take two generations for that to happen so you know it may well be that the the world coming together becoming a smaller place is uh going to mean better acceptance around the world but it might take some quite some time for that to happen and some soul searching and some looking in the mirror and you know what just put that in the context of technology um, I remember in my days working within supply chain recruitment uh, and logistics, a lot of organizations telling me when they implemented SAP or iSIMS or any other technology, right, often what would happen is the implementation of the new technology and the transition of all of the materials, the supply chain, everything into the new technology would cause a massive problem because yeah. it would end up highlighting um, major issues in the supply chain, right? And major gaps and where there were yeah. losses. And yeah. and then, it, so there would always be a struggle. And this is the implementation of any big technology, right? You realize all the gaps you have in that process. And I guess if we think around the world getting smaller or globalization, how you define it, um, then yeah. as we open up and engage with um, people we've never engaged with before, we agree with, we don't agree with, it is that same thing of you you find the gaps you find the pressure points you find the and and you you have you either give up and and recoil back into your technology cave and go i don't want to use that big technology i never want to go near it it, it, it scares me or you embrace it and go 
we've got to go through the pain barrier. Eventually, we'll get to the right place. It might take us a year. It might take us five years. But this is the right thing uh, for society, the world, or for our company with its supply chain. <laughs> yeah, this is all, this is all true. Like um, immediate tissue tissue rejection can uh, you know can be enduring, and it's important to persevere uh, if you want there to be a, a successful outcome. Brilliant. So we're, what we're agreeing on is uh, the world needs to be to be more inclusive. It needs to engage more with one another to be able to make that happen, hopefully. And hopefully te- technology, as we're seeing, is going to be uh, has the incredible potential to be able to do that if it's harnessed and utilized in, in the right way. Really does. Absolutely. Cool. Adam, uh, so what's what's next for you? I mean, uh, te- you know, you've you've. You've done what a lot of other uh, tech founders dream of. You've gone on a full cycle a couple of times over, right? Yeah, <laughs> old hat of this. Um, but what's the foreseeable future for you? The next twelve months. I'm driven by. <laughs> I mean, I'm driven. I'm driven by making recruitment better. You know, it's a. Uh, it's an industry that I joined it for a really, um, a really puerile reason, and that was that you know, a friend of mine who was a year older than me. I'd gone into the industry and he was driving a Mercedes and I just went, yeah, that looks like a good job for me. Um, so that's how I ended up in recruitment. Uh, but actually, as I've you know, matured and become driven by uh, slightly more important things than just earning some bank, um, it's, uh, it's been the, the, the opportunity to, to make recruitment better for candidates and or hiring managers and or recruiters and ideally all three is what drives me and that's what I'm going to spend the next I'm 45 years old I'm going to spend you know at least the next 10 years doing nothing but that and actually you've been a big supporter and advocate for many channels many communities many groups many individuals and that's how I know you uh, and have met with you on many an occasion and value the work that you do so um, live by your values on that basis. So uh, very much appreciate the work you do, Adam. Keep at it, whatever you do, I'll be sticking close by to, to uh, experience it with you in some way, shape or form. Thank you so much for coming on. That uh, really, truly um, was so insightful and engaging and very unique in terms of a journey. Very much appreciate it. Well, in in, in response, thanks so much for having me. It's been great talking to you. I've learned I in the in the lead up to doing this podcast with you, I learned a lot from you, and I've learned a lot from you on the podcast as well. So uh, let's do it again. Brilliant! Thank you so much. You've been listening to Neurodiversity, eliminating kryptonite, enabling superheroes. Hope you enjoyed the show. You can like, share, comment, find us anywhere on any good podcasting host. You can also do some further reading up and buy my book, uh, co-authored with Professor Amanda Kirby, Neurodiversity at Work. You can get it on Amazon with Kogan Page, our publisher, and pretty much any other good bookstore. Enjoy. Look forward to your feedback. And keep listening to the show. Thank you.